What is up, plebs? Sorry about the break from the podcast. I traveled home and have been busy with my personal life. But anyways, back at it again with another conversation all the way from Australia with Dasby One. We talk about Dasby's journey down the rabbit hole initiated by the March 2020 market crash. We talk institutional investment in Bitcoin, why Bitcoin is better than stock investing, the tragedy of our broken fiat system, and why people don't question fiat money, the CPI, and more. Enjoy this connection. Dasby, welcome on the pod, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Of course. Um, We're here for an international conversation. I always love talking to people from other countries. How's life up in the UK? I'm actually in Australia, the other side. Ah, Australia. Yeah, I'm up, up, up the that. top. Yeah, no, the north of north of Australia, say, so, uh, up in Queensland. Nice. How's the Bitcoin scene in Australia? Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> At least in in my circles, it's kind of it's kind of quiet, but it's it's definitely getting traction. That's for sure. But um, yeah, like Australia, Australia um, wide, it, it, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of talk about it, to be perfectly honest. Like we don't have a lot of activity and. Mining's only just sort of starting to get a little bit of traction. I think there's been some miners down Tassie Way and so forth, but I'm not aware of two other many more. There's, you know, no one in politics is really talking about it. You don't get a lot of coverage in the mainstream media. Not that I watch a lot of it, but uh, no, it's it's pretty quiet compared to other countries, I think. Well, nice. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. Not too much news out of there. Um but just to get started for some background, um, what was your journey down the rabbit hole like? You want the long version or the short version? <laughs> hey, we, <laughs> we've got a couple minutes. I, you know, <laughs> everyone's got their crazy funny story about reading the white paper and, you know, like staying up all night meeting God. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, my, my's probably a bit tamer than that, but probably a bit more boring. No, I come from the um, I come up from um, from the finance angle, to be honest. So uh, I guess my sort of story sort of starts um, work wise. Uh, so I sort of grew up in a sales environment. Uh, hit my thirties, decided that I wanted to become an electrician, um, partly because the work always fascinated me, and then secondly because the pay was always pretty good relative to other sort of incomes here in Australia. So I was pretty motivated to go and, and do an apprenticeship, but late in life, right? So I, I I did, I bit the bullet. It took me a few years to get in, but um, in the interim, I sort of took matters into my own hands a little bit and went and um, enrolled in a university course, you know, and I did an associate degree in electrical engineering to sort of make me a little bit more attractive to the local utility company here uh, where, where, I, where I live. And that's where I ended up finally getting a job. Two years into that degree, I got um, I got a job as an apprentice sparky. And when I finally started to, you know, get out of the working week to week for wages and started to accumulate a little bit of 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 money to put aside, then I was sort of like looking at, okay, what do I what do I do now with this money? You know, and and through through that sort of process, I also um, kicked off a little bit of a side hustle so i play guitar and i sing on the side so on the weekends i'll be at the local pubs and clubs and cafes and i'll be 
singing my little heart out and it still amazes me people pay me to sing but that's uh you know that's my little side hustle my little cash cow um and yeah so i started making good money and started putting some some money aside and i thought okay now what do i do with this 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 cash that i'm sitting on you know so i started looking at investing and i made a promise to myself that i'd do as much research as i could to understand investing uh mainly stock investing and i promised myself i wouldn't put a dime to work uh for a full year until i'd read as many books as i could and absorbed as much content as i could and that's sort of where the story began um i was a big proponent of the value investing school so from what i'd read and what i'd um, been able to research it sort of aligned with my 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 sort of uh you know just my way of thinking was you know warren buffett's number one rule is don't lose money so i was sort of bought right into that and i started listening to preston pish's podcast the the investors podcast which is absolutely fantastic and i went right back through their back catalog and i you know was was a few years behind so i was able to you know listen on 1.5 speed on all the podcasts and catch right up and i sort of following preston and his journey through through bitcoins really where where i sort of um got on board with him you could hear him interviewing these 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 people on these podcasts and just over time he's starting to really get it you know and he's as he's piecing things together i'm learning to piece piece it together because he's he's kind of learning out loud if you know what i mean right and um when 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 the penny finally sort of dropped for him finally sort of dropped for me as well and just so I'm, I'm quite late into the piece i first heard of bitcoin probably 2015 there's a couple of guys at work mucking around and in they were mainly buying shit coins but um you know bitcoin was obviously floated around that time too and it was kind of like i didn't have any spare cash at the time it was like you know, so I, I wasn't really interested in uh, in deploying anything that I didn't have, kind of kind of thing, and um, you know, uh, it took me until last year. So I'm only, you know, I just celebrated my Bitcoin birthday, and I think it was March. So it was kind of the March 2020 stock market crash, and I, you know, had done all this work on how to value stocks and how to read balance sheets and how to you know, do discounted cash flow models and all that sort of thing. And I had these spreadsheets all, um, all, all done off. I'm a bit of a spreadsheet nerd and they auto feed in with the pricing. And, um, and, and I was always constantly valuing the, mainly the Australian stock market um, stocks. And I was looking for these bargains that I supposed to, you know, these value investors look for is buy, buy stuff when it's cheap and undervalued. But the problem was there was nothing to buy. And, you sort of fast forward to March 2020 and the big crash happened and the Australian stock market fell something uh, close to 40%. And there was still nothing to buy. I'm looking at my spreadsheets and I'm going, what the hell's going on here? You know? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there, was, there was still like, I think I, I, I purchased about three stocks from my wish list of stocks that were at a reasonable valuation. And there was just simply nothing else to buy. And I thought if there's not a, if a 40% drawdown on the stock market, doesn't shake things up a little bit what the hell is going on in these markets so that's really when I, I sort of tore the lid off and and it was just so sort of coincided with where i was hitting with the with preston's podcast and and bitcoin just smacked me in the face um really really hard you know and it's sort of like wow this is this is where this is where it's at and then i started like piecing all the things together with the macro 
and you know how bonds work and how does the in- currency injection happen where does it where does it land how does that affect everything and really just started tearing the, the lid off finance and ultimately all roads lead to bitcoin when when i look at it from that angle yeah and that's incredible when you're describing how you started to learn about um you know, economics and the money. It's like, I, I had the same way. Like, you know, I always worked full time over the summers and part time, you know, through high school and now in um, college. And, and so, you know, I had extra money that, you know, I could save away. And, you know, it was through all these podcasts that we both listened to that, you know, I came to the exact same realizations that you lay out in your Twitter and Medium articles. And I I saw your tweet about how you find it so perplexing value investors haven't found Bitcoin yet. I I read that tweet. I read your points. It's like every Bitcoiner is like, yes, like this is why we need Bitcoin, why it's so valuable. do you have any theories or ideas as to why um, we're not seeing more interest from like these classic Warren Buffett value investors? Well, I think it's, it, it comes down to that whole Warren Buffett's been famous for saying, you know, he, he was always against gold because it doesn't let off any cash flows. And, and I remember actually Pre- Preston really struggling with that as well. I remember him reviewing, um, a recommendation from Ray Dalio. Um, it might have been through like a Tim Robbins. Is that the guy's name? Tim Robbins book um, at the time where where Ray Dalio recommends a certain percentage of the portfolio. And pre- I remember Preston actually struggling with that as well. Going, I don't get why why he's talking about gold. It doesn't it doesn't let off any yield. It has no cash flow. It's got no return. Like you just you're just parking it. And that was obviously before the penny had dropped with with the fiat currency and really what's what's going on with that that whole system and i think that's basically where a lot of value investors come from is they're constantly trying to find something that spins off income to them you know what i mean and that's a good mindset to have when you when you are investing but when i sort of get to the point where everything is so overvalued there is nothing to buy and it's all due to the fact that the the um the Fed just keeps printing currency and suppressing these these yields, and the yields are the main driver for asset valuations. They're the 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 yardstick by which everything else is measured, and and that flows through to real estate, right through to equity valuations. So when you run these discounted cash flow models, one of the main inputs is the risk free rate of return. So if that's near zero, the closer that goes to zero, the 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 stocks go into to infinity. So, you know, you've got these institutions and these, these, these players that have to put capital to work. They can't sit in cash. It's against their governance models. And when they're valuing stocks in order to, to what to purchase, the closer that risk-free rate of return goes to zero, the higher that those asset prices go and the higher they're willing to pay for it. And then you add couple with that, the fact that we've got such a large um, uh, what, what accounts for a large amount of capital inflows in this day and age is from passive investing, passive investing vehicles like ETFs, which goes just going blindly by the index. Mm. And you've got all these inputs into the market that are just boosting everything up. And so, you, you, you know, you, you, you get to this point where 
Um, I think the, the value investors are just stuck from the fact that they've got to put their money to work and they just can't sit there. Um, they'd rather sit in cash. And it just blows my mind that they haven't put the two and two together yet as far as, man, put some of that into Bitcoin. You know, do it. If, you, if you're going to take a large chunk and you're going to park it somewhere that, you know, if you're sitting on the sidelines for cash waiting for the valuations to come to you, it is madness because you're going backwards every single day through inflation and the lack of interest rate that you get by holding your currency in the bank. So why not right. take a percentage of it, park it in Bitcoin and realize some of these gains that we're receiving year on year? I mean, you know, since inception, it's gone up 200% on average year on year. Since the last year, including the last drawdown, it's up 109%. So if you were to dollar cost average in, I've done a, one of those articles there. I've, I've just do a demonstration for people just to illustrate the power of dollar cost averaging. Mm. And if you were to buy $10 US worth of Bitcoin every single day on autopilot from June last year through to the 1st of June this year, and that included the big 50% drawdown we just experienced, you were still up 109%. Right. Yeah. And everything you explained makes so much sense. Um, you know, this is the stuff like why I find Austrian economics and Bitcoin so valuable because, you know, the fiat, everything you described just now. And, you know, it, it gets me wondering, like, is the path forward for Bitcoin adoption going to be? more top down, like through the national interest and, you know, institutionalized investors and professionals realizing that Bitcoin is better money and it can help their bid group? Or do you think, um, you know, Bitcoin's, you know, the thing that troubles me is Bitcoin, you know, stands to threaten these powerful political and financial institutions. And so, you know, do you think it's more likely that we see increased adoption from these, you know, professional finance um, people? I think it's inevitable. I think I think it's inevitable. I mean, you know, no one puts it better than Michael Saylor. His analogy of watching, you know, a block of ice melting on a hot bit of concrete. Um, I think it's inevitable that at least a percentage of um, corporate balance sheets end up in bitcoin i honestly hope it i honestly hope it doesn't happen for a long time right. um, personally because i think we we as the plebs have got so much work to do in order to, to to activate our fellow plebs you know the guys that we work with every day and the and the, and the guys we talk to and our friends and our family they they're not there yet we've we've got we've got some work to do still you know slowly but surely I mean, even in my friends' uh, work, work, work circle at friends, out of say twenty blokes, I work quite closely with. I'd hazard a guess that definitely we're over sixty percent of them now have at least some exposure. Um, so it's we're getting there, but I just hope that the big boys don't get here too quickly. And I mean, all you have to do is uh, I'm a subscriber to Real Vision, so I like looking at the macro markets. I think they've gone a bit wayward with their crypto crap oh, yeah. that they that they bang on about. But I think the fundamental daily briefing and all that, some really powerful learning for everybody um, can get out of that, just a way that the whole system melds together and how, you know, these bonds flow in and so forth. So um, just looking at, 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 at um, just being in touch with that real vision and, and they, and they run the um, what's it, the crypto gathering that they ran earlier in the year and so forth. It's so evident 
that there's these big institutions just trying to position themselves in order to to be able to buy Bitcoin. So that's the really key thing is some of these institutions by their corporate governance models and their governance models, they're forbidden to buy certain asset classes. So a couple of things needed to happen for Bitcoin. It needed to hit that $1 trillion mark, which it did. It's it's um, now sort of floating around there again, but mm. um, it needed to hit that in order for it to be sort of considered as a investable asset class. And, and secondly, a lot of these, um, say, pension funds, for example, they, they are mandated to stick to the typical, um, you know, 60-40 stock to bond portfolio. So they can't own things like Bitcoin. Um, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit closer to uh, an ETF getting approved in the US. Um, and again, like there are ETFs in Canada, which some of these places can get exposure to. But again, a lot of the, a lot of the US-based ones, they're mandated to only buy US treasuries and US stocks. So until there's a, a Bitcoin ETF, um, some, some of them just don't have that option. And a lot of them don't like locking up their funds in, in, um, in, in stuff like um, Grayscale. Right. Yeah. And this stuff is so interesting to me, talking about, um, you know, these macroeconomics and, you know, what's right to do with your money and institutions. And we're just two guys without formal um, economics education, at least I'm assuming um definitely that, don't no i'm all self-taught for sure yeah right but i was planning on asking you like uh, if you um had a formal education and economics because of your writing and twitter that i read it's like um did, did our interest in economics and investing lead us to bitcoin or did bitcoin create this interest in money the issues with the money and how we can you know, do the best in this um, financial system that we live in. It, it's like, I really am interested in why so many Bitcoiners are interested in this kind of like just money. You know, most people think of it as boring, but if we can somehow inspire this curiosity in others, I, I feel like um, that seems to be the best way. Like once I understood the fiat money system and how hard money actually works, you know, it was like, wow, this is an important idea, but I just don't see other people sharing the interest and, in, you know, spending all day reading or listening to, you know, conversations about economics, right? Exactly. So I, I guess it was like a reinforcing self-reinforcing mechanism so I, I got to bitcoin through the finance because i had a genuine interest mm. but bitcoin opened up the the box as far as me realizing holy shit how wrong is the system and i'm fully addicted to the whole <laughs> i that's all i do i basically people people get sick of talking to me because that's all i talk about just about is um is how broken the system is and um and, you know, I was having a lot, and this is the, the inspiration for the articles, was because I was having these conversations often, saying the same sort of things often to the same sort of people multiple times. And, you know, there's a genuine interest in, and then people don't realize the system. Like when I started sort of having chats to people about it, you know, you're obviously forming your own views and you're, you're forming your own understanding and it's one of those one of those um 
it's just one of those facts of nature is if you need to teach it to somebody, you're going to learn it better yourself because you actually have to explain it. And that means you need a deeper understanding in order to be able to convey the messaging that you need to, to put through. So it was a, it was a practice thing, not, not intentionally, but as I was having these conversations more and more, I just got better and better at explaining it and piecing the things together sort of on the fly, talking it through to your, to your mates. And um, that's where I got to the realization that um, I, I, I probably understand these concepts a lot better than most people that I'm talking to. And there's a real knowledge gap and there's, there is a genuine interest in people wanting to find out how things work. So I thought, what I'm going to do is, is and, you, and you've probably noticed if you read some of those articles, I really just try and make it like a conversation. I'm not trying to make it like an academic paper or a well-researched and, and formal, um, formal piece. I'm not a writer. I'm just a sparky. I'm just an electrician. Right. So you know what I mean? I'm just trying to make it accessible to as many people as I can. And that was really the target audience was my friends and family. And I thought, if I can write this in a way that they see it's coming from me, they're probably more inclined to listen to it or read, you know, or, or, or read the message. And, and, um, and also I've written it. So, you know, um, <clears throat> I, I think that it's, it, they've been quite well, well received, but I'm even more stoked to how sort of more widely received they've been in the general community. Cause I share them on a few, you know, just, um, crypto-based Facebook groups and so forth here in Australia. And I just, I just pop them in there and just let the guys run. And you, of course you get the bloody ETH, bloody bashes and all those sort of guys that come on. And, and I just let them run, man. Honestly, I don't even engage in conversation with them half the time. It's just, here's, here's a piece. And if I can, if I can convince what, you know, one or two people, um, unfortunately, you know, like if they're reading the crypto, if they're in the crypto groups, they're probably already, already pilled in some way shape or form but a lot of people just go down these shitcoin paths and they don't really realize what what bitcoin is and i mean bitcoin is the store of value yeah i mean there's other coins that do other things and all that sort of stuff but they're not bitcoin they're not the same they're not the same thing right and i think that that message just gets lost a lot because people are just attracted to the carrot they're attracted to the quick win the quick gain and the and the and the 10 x's on some shit coin that elon musk is pumping at the end of the day <laughs> um and they're missing the message they're missing the main points man so you know that's why i thought you know i got to i was just i just got to a point where i was compelled i said i've got to write this shit out man i've got to i got to do something um and 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 that's where that's where we ended up yeah and I, I love how you break down Bitcoin in these pieces, like really hitting home, like the, the most important things, like the hard money, you know, what exactly Bitcoin is that all these other shit coins um, aren't. And, you, you know, these pieces are great. And uh, I'll probably send them to, you know, different people who are curious about Bitcoin in my life. But I always get people to this point where, you know, it just doesn't seem like people are willing to question these systems that we all take for granted, like the money. Um, <clears throat> like, how could, you know, our money system be this negatively affecting us? Like, it just seems like so part of our government and our institutions and society that, you know, people aren't going to 
question something that everybody seems to just passively say is like normal and participates in. So I was wondering if you think there's anything that um, predisposed you to being able to, you know, just me and you, we both like learned about economics on our own and, you know, learned about hard money and kind of like created a hypothesis that hard money is better questioning, you know, literally what everybody in the world is, is doing participating in this fiat money system is, do, do you think there's something unique about Bitcoiners who have questioned, you know, this broad system so early? Because, you know, I just get to this point where people, you know, they don't seem to be willing to, you know, maybe have the arrogance is probably not a great word or the confidence in themselves that, yeah, you know, I do understand this and I do know better than what everybody in the world is participating in. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It's kind of a hard uh, it, idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it totally makes sense. And I think it's it's one of those things, man. It's like it's it's convenience for people. Most people, most middle class people just want to go to work, come home, turn on the TV, switch it off, do it day in, day out. And they just want their life to be easy. They don't realize until you lift the lid off and you start explaining some of these concepts, they don't realize how the system is designed to keep them doing exactly that. And they are, we're just hamsters on the wheel, you know, and there's no incentive for the powers that be that make all these decisions to change the system. Like most of them don't even understand it themselves um, as, as, as impossible as that is even to think about. I mean, most of those guys come from privilege. They don't know what it's like to, you know, struggle to pay the bills, struggle to put food on the table, struggle to, you know, keep the roof over their heads. And they're, they're, they're oblivious to a lot of this as well. Well, at least I like to think that. Um, and I think, you know, most people, like I said, they just don't, they don't realize they're getting fucked. <laughs> right. So they don't realize there's an issue to look at, to look for. So, you know, that's, that's one of the, the main drivers again for those articles is just to really like most people know the word inflation. They can probably, you know, quote you what, maybe or what or the cpi index was last year maybe if if they listen to the, the to the news but they don't realize what inflation really does like and how badly compounding works in the opposite direction as well as in the positive direction right so um in in one of the first articles i wrote which is i need to spell out to you guys what inflation really is and there's a few examples I use there. So we know that the Fed wants 2 to 3% inflation, right? They come out and they say that. That's what they, the bare minimum that they want to achieve. So I go, all right, let's take that 3%. And let's say we put a, uh, we had a million dollars in cash sitting under our mattress and we kept it there for the next 30 years till we retire. What does that, um, what does that $1 million look like in purchasing power? And that 3%, that reduces to, 411,000 in today's dollars. So it only buys you the equivalent of what $411,000 buys you today. At, and that's only at 3%. And then I start to strip back the layers and say, okay, so now look, let's look at CPI and let's look at core CPI and let's dig into the guts of this. 
And then we realized that this is the measure that these policymakers are utilizing to make their policy decisions. And it's not a true reflection of what's coming out of our pockets day in, day out. It doesn't include food and it doesn't include energy because they say it's too volatile. So me as a guy who needs to feed kids and send them to school and pay for bills, working wages day to day, that is not a true reflection of the inflation that I experience from day to day. So what the hell are they doing dictating policy that affects my income when they're not even factoring in the, the things that affect me from day to day? It's just crazy. And so you can look at um, websites that are, on, uh, that are freely available, uh, maintained like shadow stats, and you can see, you know, with core CPI, they change those basket of goods from time to time, year to year. They'll add stuff in, they'll take stuff out. So the same basket of goods when they started um, measuring um, a lot of this back in like, say, 1980 is not the same basket of goods as it is today. So shadow stats actually outlines, well, what does that basket look like? And they've got two metrics there, a 1980 basket of goods and a 1990 basket of goods. And it shows that our inflation rate for the latest print um, for, I think it was updated July, was actually somewhere between 9 and 14%. And if you go through and you do the um, that $1 million depreciating compounding over 30 years on 14%, that is, I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's bad. It, it's 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 sub one hundred thousand dollars. I think the eight percent mark was bought you a Toyota Land Cruiser in Australia, which cost you about hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and uh, that's like an incredible way to think about it. I've never thought about um, inflation as the same as compounding interest, but in you know the negative direction. And yeah. That's awful. Like to hear you say, like the one million dollars loses, like, what did you say, four hundred thousand dollars in purchasing power over thirty years, and that's if you're going off the CPI, which you know that that's great if you don't need a food or a place to stay, you know. So exactly, exactly right, mate. That is so important to, to understand. That is the that is the rate that they're mandating and not including food and energy. And there is some sort of representation on housing, but it doesn't include massive asset bubbles or anything like that as well. And yeah, so the three percent, that's that's their high range of their target, but that three percent becomes four hundred and eleven thousand dollars in purchasing power in 30 years' time. Right. Um like I'll match your energy. Like everybody around us who aren't saving in Bitcoin are getting fucked by this fiat money system. And it makes me angry, you know? Yep. Um, totally. It should make you angry too. And this is, it should make everyone angry. And this is what, you know what I mean? They hide behind this core CPI print where we're experiencing a lot more than that, man. And they're just saying it's two, 3%. So when you, when you look at it, you look out, it's like, okay, we're losing purchasing power, but it's not so bad. It's only 3%, right? It sounds like a small figure. So everyone just goes, oh, it's only 3%, you know? But when you look at it compounding, that's a big difference. When you look at what the real rate of inflation possibly is, and inflation is different to everybody, right? And this is the really key thing is it depends on where your stage of life is, what 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 priorities you have, what your family situation looks like. Everyone experiences inflation in different ways. And that's part of the reason why they they hide behind the 
the fact that we just use a core CPI because it's too hard to, to calculate for everybody, but everybody freaking eats, man. <laughs> and, right. and everybody uses electricity. Right. And it's, so we know that, you know, everyone in our life is being fucked and they're not going to be able to, um, you know, save for their future and pursue what they're passionate about because, you know, they don't have the ability to work and save and, you know, invest their time and their money and things that are actually important to them. So, uh, but me and you, we understand Bitcoin can help us um, and any hard asset, um, it, you know, gold or silver, if that's your thing. Like, I think Bitcoin's the one to choose, but just saving and hard money, you know, I think you understand it's important. And I'm wondering if understanding Bitcoin or hard money uh, changed your perspective on, you know, the your career and work you do or your family or anything else in your life. Absolutely, mate. It has made so many changes to me as a person um, as far as like all the way from health. You know, it, it, it's weird and I didn't realize it until somebody brought it up in one of those um, Twitter spaces or or um, clubhouse rooms or something the other day was about, and I think Saferding talks about this a lot, and it, 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 it has, it's changed my attitude to how I live my life. It's changed my whole outlook as to, you know, the, I think he, he refers to something really good like fiat food, right? bad, bad food, not good for you kind of thing, you know, same as fiat currency. It's, it's, it's stuffing you up in the, over the, over the long term, And it has changed my outlook. It has changed my perceptions on, on, um, on, on basically everything on politics, on the way that the world works. Um, we don't have to dig into the, the whole, um, the, the COVID thing at the moment, but it, you know, it, it's, it has, it, it has shifted me in so many different ways and for the better, um, you just look at everything a little bit more objectively. And mm. when you realize that the system is not designed for your best interest, it's really easy to go and get angry and go and get, you know, down in the dumps and, and all that sort of thing. But I'm just, you just got to focus on shifting that energy into and channeling that into ways that can benefit you. And that's really where I focus on with, and I come back to, to, to Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, I can, I can understand that this system's fucked. I can understand that it's designed by its nature to screw me over and keep me working till I'm old and gray and can't enjoy my life. They need, they need us to go and make their things. They need us to produce. They need us to serve them, you know, and, right. and wait their tables and scrub their dishes and all that. I want out, man. And our biggest, our biggest, our biggest ticket out is Bitcoin, you know, and we have, this rare opportunity, it is the, I tweeted this out tonight, it is the last undervalued asset available. Right. So when, when, you, when you sit and you know you, your cash is buying you less over time, you park it in a bank, you, you take all the risk by parking in a bank. There's stuff that exists like bank bailing laws where they, in Australia where they can bail in your deposit. A failing institution can seize your savings issue you a share in this failing bank to try and save themselves and and you wear all the risk and you receive zero reward for that risk it is the worst possible place for your currency anyone listening to this who's still sitting on the fence get your money out of the banks it is crazy 
it's crazy. And you, you know, Bitcoin just gives you so much power in order to be able to be your own bank, to be self-sovereign. You can hold a digital bearer asset in your head. You can cross borders if you have to. Uh, you know, it just gives so much power back to us as individuals to be sovereign individuals. And it, it's, it's, it's a really, really important thing to me. And that's what it's done to me. Had I not discovered Bitcoin, I'd still be sitting in cash trying to find stocks. I don't think I would have tore the lid off and really started deep diving down into how is this system engineered? How does it work? And, and like I said, you can get angry at it or you can take that knowledge and you can go, what is my best way to benefit from what I've learned? Yeah. Yes. I, I fully agree. And I'm so hopeful and grateful that, you know, we're here early and that, you know, we, we were lucky enough to understand Bitcoin and tear the lid off that, um, off that, you know, basket of, of fiat lives, <laughs> you know? Um, exactly. And so I, I'm a young Bitcoiner. I'm, I'm 20 years old. There's lots of uh, young, young Bitcoiners who listen to this podcast and I was wondering, you know, it, it seems like um, you have a happy family, you've got a career and income, you're understanding Bitcoin, it sounds like you're playing music, you have a couple side hustles, you're working on your passions. It's like, for what advice would you give to a young Bitcoiner just trying to figure out their, their own life? Um, First off, congratulations! You're about twenty years ahead of me, mate. It took it took it took me it took me a lot longer to figure this this all this stuff out, and even it took me a lot longer to even get serious about it. To be perfectly honest, it wasn't really till I started a family where, you know, I I was a bit of a rat bag. I used to like partying, drank too much, and earlier years did did the wrong things. Um, so it was really when. Uh, you know, we were talking about starting a family where it smacked me in the face. And I'm like, okay, man, now's time. You got to grow up and you got to start thinking about things, you know? And, you know, we did, we live paycheck to paycheck, man. And, and this is the, the problem was that the system was on reflection. Now looking back, the system was, you know, there was no incentive to save. If you could only put, you know, $10 a week away or a hundred dollars a week away, whatever that was for for, for you, you know, there wasn't any incentive to grow that because you weren't earning any interest. It wasn't compounding. Whereas you, you can park it in Bitcoin and you can see it compounding. So I, I guess like any of the young guys listening now, your best tool is to educate yourself. Mm. Keep the knowledge going in whatever field that you want. We're so lucky that we have so much access to free knowledge, right? right. But if, if, if you do go down that Bitcoin path, the best thing you can do for yourself is keep educating yourself on Bitcoin because those big boys are here. They want your Bitcoin and they will try every trick in the book to get it from you, from you, from the weekends, right? So what you got to do is you got to buy it. You got to keep buying it. You got a dollar cost average in. And if you can only put a dollar a day away and buy Bitcoin, that's all you can do. But that will compound and that will grow. And you owe it to yourself to go and educate yourself and get the conviction because I tell you what, man, I was nothing but excited by that big drawdown that we just went through because I was like, yes, I can buy a lot more. Right. And 
you have my word you know i'll i'll keep learning that's some amazing <laughs> advice from people like you who are kind enough to come talk to me about bitcoin you know for a few minutes out of their day um, oh pleasure mate so i'll definitely plug your medium articles start tweeting about them more often i love them uh you know i'll link them in the description um i just appreciate you so much for taking the time out of your day to you know talk with me any last words for the plebs no i think i think we've covered it all off mate thank you so much for having me it's been a good it's been a great chat and thanks for listening to a to older bloke ran about Bitcoin for, for, <laughs> for an hour. But um, no, mate, honestly, that, that's the, the best advice I could give is, is just keep dollar cost averaging. It is the best way in order to accumulate Bitcoin over the long term because you iron out all that volatility. You take the stress out of it. You don't have to worry about buying dips and, and troughs and you know the highs and the lows. As you buy Bitcoin, you smooth out that volatility and you become the median the, the trend line through the through the guts of it you know and um that that's that's probably what i'd leave you with is uh you just keep doing what you're doing man you're, you're doing all the right things i wish i i wish there was something available and i knew about it at 20 years old like bitcoin <laughs> it'd be i'd probably be laughing and I, i'm i'm you know you're never too late to bitcoin and you know i'm just glad i found it when i did because i feel even you know i'm only been in it a year and just threw myself into learning as much as i could but i know I'm so early. Right. And I got to keep that perspective because sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, dang it. I'm 20 years old when I, or no, I was probably, you know, I, I was a teenager when I, you know, I've understood Bitcoin and it's like, I, I haven't had the chance to, you know, um, make more money than these, you know, minimum wage jobs. Yeah. I've worked a lot, but it's like, um, you know, I need to keep the perspective that I got the whole life, rest of my life ahead of me to keep DCAing, like you said. Exactly um, right, mate. Exactly right. And pursue your passions too, mate. If you can, you know, and if there's another an, another bit of advice I could give, it would be find try and find a side hustle and try and find a side hustle for cash. Um, you know, and like everybody's got a talent. Everybody can do something, if, whether it's drawing or painting or crafting or you know, there are ways you can, you can try and monetize your passion. And when you do that, it's not, it's not a job, man. It's, it's, it's fun. You know, like I love music and I do it just enough that it's not a job for me. Um, and I'm mindful of that. So I try not to do too many gigs. Um, but you know, that is all just premium over the top, over, over on top of everything else income that I use to stack sats. And, and, and if you're trying to understand or find a way to do that for yourself, have a look at what you're good at. It might not even be um, a skill. It might be, you know, your, your education yourself. You might be really good at math that you can go and, you know, start tutoring some kids or you can, you know, teach a shop class or something like that. You know, you just got to find something that you can do, even if it is your day job. Say you're, uh, um, if there's something you can do in your main job that you can perhaps pick up a few things freelancing after hours or something like that, then, you know, while you're young and you're fit and you're healthy and you're able stack sats any way you can. And I, I fully encourage get out and start and start working now so that you can, you know, you, you might hit your mid thirties or your forties and you can find your, you can retire. And that's one of the biggest travesties I think of, 
of the modern society the way it is is you slave your guts out like in australia here they just up a few years ago they up the retirement age to 67 like you hit 67 man you 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 you're on the you're on the downward side you know what i mean your your body's starting to break down like not everybody right that's a generalization but your, your best years have been given to work i want out man i want you know um 50 is my magic number you know i've got i've got another you know 11 odd years to hit that hit that mark and i think i can do it and i think bitcoin's the answer bitcoin will make, help me get there um but you know, I don't want to be working till I'm 67. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm on the same page. Um, but yeah, I'll, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about you know what I'm interested in, and you know, trying to monetize something I'm good at. You know, and I'll, you know, I'll think more about that. That's some great advice. Like starting this podcast, I was super skeptical and nervous, but. Um, but, you know, I just took the leap and Bitcoiners, you know, they're, they were also willing to talk and, you know, help me along the way. And it's like, wow, um, you know, that's the great of- thing about this community, man, is, is already from, you know, and I've only been writing articles for about seven weeks, you know, and already so many doors have opened up um, yeah. and possibilities to, to do something proactive in this space, mate. And you know what? Yeah. You're doing the work, and this is another another key learning from from sort of my life, mate. Is is the more value you give, the more you you will get back in return, and that is so true. And you know, like I write these articles, I have no intention of of making any money from them. I just feel like I need to give, and you know what? That shit will come back to me, man. Right. In one way, shape, or form, one way, shape, or form, that'll come back. And it's so cool. Like as Bitcoiners, I feel like all of us have this desire to give back or, you know, work on Bitcoin, the network in some form. And it's just so cool seeing each person the way they choose to do that. Like for you, it may be articles. For me, it's conversations for, you know, technical people. They're building the network and we just have so many like passionate people spending their time on something that's important to them. So I'm really hopeful about our future here. Good on you, man. Well, so good. Thank you again. Keep in touch. We'll do for sure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Have a, I guess, good night. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, it's uh, 10 to 10. So n- nice and early morning for you and about bedtime for me. So <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, sleep well. Oh. Thanks, buddy. Good on you.